Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of your favorite podcast, Insane in the Membrane. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to another edition of your old pal, Rich Wilson. Uh, before we get into it, I need to talk to you about our sponsors. This podcast is being supported by Save Our Souls Clothing. Uh, those lovely boys, Mark and Stacey, doing wonderful things with their ethically sourced, vegan-friendly garments, and, uh, and they help us keep the lights on. They're good lads doing good things. If you go to their website, sosclothing.co.uk forward slash membrane, and use the promo code membrane, that's one word, uh, you will get a 50% discount, not just from our merch, uh, with, of our tees and hoodies, you'll also get 50% off across their entire store. So go and do that. I mean, what's not to love, eh? What's not to love? We've also got some more, uh, some more merch coming out uh, soon. Different colours coming your way. Uh, all that that will be revealed later on. So go to sosclothing.co.uk forward slash membrane. Use the promo code membrane. That's one word, and you'll get fifty percent off not just of our merch, but across the store. Thank you, Mark and Stacey at Save Our Souls Clothing. Lovely lads. Uh, also, we have insane the membrane coffee beans. A roast made to our taste by Wogan Coffee in Bristol. So go to wogancoffee.com and use the exclusive membrane listener promo code membrane again, that's one word, and you'll get 10% off podcast packs. And can someone send me a picture, please? I want to see them. I'm going to buy some myself. But I want to see if you if you get them, can you send us a picture? I want to see them. We'll stick it up on all the socials. We'll do all that. That'd be great. And that is the admin done. Um, what else has been happening? I've been running around gigging. I'm all over the shop, to be honest. Uh, gigging far and wide. So uh, I'll put all the dates up on my social media. I am Rich Wilson on the Instagram. I am Rich Wilson on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, and uh, so get get a hook up on there, and then I'll show you where my dates are. And if you'd love to come and see me, I'd love to come. And, I'd love you to come and see me. I'd love to see you. So let's do that. Um, so let's get on with it. Our guest this week, our guest this week is the brother of the uh, of the wonderful comedian Mark Watson. Mark Watson, um, who you would have seen on Taskmaster, uh, various other shows. Uh, I've I've known Mark for years. Damn fine man, damn fine comedian. But his brother, I didn't realise his brother was doing some brilliant stuff. Um, so I just wanted to talk to him. Uh, heavily involved in uh, football, uh, and, and you know he's coached and uh, he does a lot of things outside of football but football related and and being someone who doesn't really know much about football I've wanted to get someone on to talk about that 
And the fact that football is really, it's so ingrained in our society, you know, even if you're not into it, I do say that in the, in the episode, it's still there, it's still around, you know, it's still part of everything we do. So it was really interesting to talk to someone about that. So, um, so I was like, yeah, let's have Paul. And it was brilliant. It was so great. He's such a lovely guy, uh, which you'll hear in the episode. So uh, coming up in a minute, it's Paul Watson. And we'll also be putting this out on our YouTube channel. Click the link on the episode description. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A podcast from producer Paul UK. Insane in the membrane. What an incredible, incredible life you've led. I mean, you know, I mean, some people are into football, but wow. You, you know what? Every time someone says to me, yeah, you've had a really interesting career or it all, all looks like you've done lots of interesting things. I always just think it weirdly doesn't feel like that to you when you're the person isn't that like if, if you're yeah, asking me what, what you most of my life was i'd say about 85 percent of it was like washing up <laughs> sort of, like calculate 85 getting the bins out and stuff like that but it's just, amongst all that i guess there have been little moments that that were interesting but it but it is funny that when people say that to me i think no not not me no not really <laughs> <laughs> i think this is i mean because like you've just you've just hit the nail on the head like people i get people at gigs going mate you're smashing it. You're everywhere. And you go, I've spent a lot of time on the bus lately. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that thing of you being everywhere as well. I feel like it's something about social media or just mm. the way we live our lives now that I feel like um, I, I'm always feel bored of myself and telling people what I'm doing. But I yeah. actually also find no one in, in the grand scheme, no one has a clue who I am or what I'm doing. So it's, it's this weird mix <laughs> where you're just yelling at the same like the same few people you're yelling at them daily <laughs> look at all this stuff i'm doing but in reality you get out of that i, I remember i did a project involving 2018 i organized a alternative world cup for countries that aren't recognized places like Tibet yes yes and i spent i spent i guess months telling every person i could think of you know messaging media people emailing tweeting just trying to generate interest in this tournament and i had some success it felt like actually got some traction um and as soon as it finished 
people started saying to me, God, if only I'd known that was on. That's <laughs> What what more? Could I, I like I literally could, I was pretty much walking around with a sandwich board saying alternative World Cup. I was like I could not have done more. And yet, while it felt like to me I was boring everyone that I knew with it. In reality, yeah, you, you don't break out of that very small bubble unless you've got like hundreds of thousands of followers and on the social it's media, which I, which I don't. So no, yeah, <laughs> it's so true. The amount of times that people say um, <laughs> I either get invited out for dinner at weekends or. And I'm not complaining. Or um, I, they say, "Where are you? Where are you gigging? Where are you, are you gigging anywhere at the minute?" And you're like, "I don't, I don't understand." I, like you've just said, <laughs> I keep all I do is tell people what I'm doing, where I'm going to be, and now you're like, "Oh, are you are you free Saturday?" And you're like, <laughs> "I've just been." <laughs> it is, so, it's, and I'm not. It, it, it's a privileged place to be. I'm not knocking it. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't tend to. You know, it doesn't really bother me. It's just it's a real sign of our times that you know everyone's just shouting and shouting and shouting. We don't actually necessarily know if anyone's listening the whole time. It's just no. um, that that like sort of sums up the social media world, isn't it? You're just like, you know, I couldn't do more to tell people what I'm doing, and yet obviously that number of people is very limited. So it, yeah, I'm always. I remember my social media policy always used to be: I don't want to bug people. So yeah. I used to basically only tweet when I felt I had something to say. And I remember telling someone about this and she just laughed uproariously. And she was like, yeah, you don't do Twitter much, do you? You don't understand the nature <laughs> of it. And now I sort of do just wang on like everyone else on there now. But it, it does feel like that's the world we've created where you, you have to be always saying something, even if you don't think you necessarily got anything to say. Otherwise, you're never yeah, going to get heard. <laughs> this is it. They're like They're always saying, oh, yeah, you need to you need to upload these pictures all the time you need to be doing this doing that and it's like feed the beast you have to feed the beast otherwise the algorithms sort of push you out the way they go no not you you're not you're not you're not in you're in this now and you're like so yeah so then again your audience becomes even more limited because you're not you're you're getting punted out of the out of the room by the algorithms and it's yeah, it's a really dangerous i mean it's a horribly addictive thing and like with everything else social media i i resisted it for as long as i could realized it basically was just limiting your career options you know you you do really have to be visible on these things if you're in a lot of fields anything creative anything where you might need to get numbers of people to do something and so i, I had to embrace it and and as soon as i did uh, I did enjoy aspects of it and you create this little mm. bubble of people who are maybe more in some ways maybe more aligned and, and feel like friends than than your actual friendship groups that you that you meet or, or people you meet in real life but the downside of it is this thing that almost sums up human existence of like I just want to get 5,000 followers and then you get <laughs> and before when you've even got 5,002 you're like oh that's an ugly looking number I better get up to 6,000 and then it's like well I want 10 and I've not got to 10 yet but I know if I do get to 10 my next thought will be well I better round this off to 12 and 15 <laughs> but what, what does any of it actually mean and I think you see that when you see people with 200,000 see people with 1.8 million followers and you're like yeah at that point you're surely just a victim to your own success you know you I don't know, like, you can't actually see anything anyone's saying to you because you just get so much coming back at you every day. Yeah, yeah, How do yeah. you even, oh, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's it's so addictive, isn't it? That thing of like, it is. oh, 25 likes, I'm really smashing it today. And it's like, <laughs> what does that actually mean? Especially if like four of them are people who live in your house. It's like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Someone said to me that, I said that. 
they went, oh, they said, oh, yeah, your post is doing really well today. And it was on like, I don't know, 30 likes or something like that. And I went, but it's only 30 likes. They went, no, no, you have no idea that actually most people only get one or two at best. <laughs> it's like, oh. but this doesn't make any sense. What are we doing? Well, I, what I, I are do, we doing? I do think that. And I sometimes think that what I've ended up doing on Twitter a lot of the time is just saying the things I would have said to the person I'm next to on this platform so mm. that like, 12 people will go yeah that's quite funny click a button whereas in the past i would have said it to someone in the room who would have gone yeah that's quite funny and it's like what 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 has changed now to i don't know i I don't know whether that's i don't know what it is but it doesn't leave you feeling particularly great about your daily output when your biggest sort of fist pump is like oh 15 likes or something (laughs) this is it and we're all in you feel like such a failure if you're not a part of it, but at the same time, it eats you up that that you you feel you have to be part of it. It's it's a really strange combination, and I, and I really do think, and it's been said a lot on here that it really is affecting people's mental health. I can't I can't see how yeah. it can be good if I'm no. like, I I really can't. But I also can't see now that not engaging with it is a is an option. I mean, it is, but I, I feel like limiting your world that way feels like mm. you're intentionally handicapping your chances of of progressing your career and and for me if i'm not on it and i go on it i'll see people succeeding and think oh you know i should be doing that <laughs> so I, I don't think it's particularly healthy but i also just i don't really see a way of getting the genie back in the bottle with it it, it, it no. exists and millions of people are on it um yeah yeah it, it's tough I isn't know, it yeah. <laughs> I, I tried i tried basically ignoring it I, and i reckon i posted on average once a month and i had you know barely any followers at all and then basically the more i tweet the more followers i get um and that's not to do with the quality at all and I'm, i've even got that thing <laughs> that um i've got like an old band or something where um occasionally i'll post something and be like oh, that's, that's a great tweet that's brilliant and it'll get four likes i think <laughs> and then occasionally one of them gets like a few thousand and I, i'll always hate it by by definition, yeah. I was like, "God, what a stupid tweet! That was just some mindless crap about the football." And then it gets thousands of likes, and I sit there thinking, "Why didn't any of you like that bit of gold dust six weeks ago?" <laughs> you immediately hate the t- you hate the tweet that succeeds just for just for succeeding. So it wasn't the one you wanted to. This doesn't. Sh- this isn't. No. This isn't showing me in my best light. This isn't my gold. This is. Just some bullshit but, but, I pumped out. Yeah. Also, I, I suppose because of the nature of my work, so a lot of what I'm doing is uh, I'm often trying to raise money for football-related causes that are often quite worthy. And it's I see so much of this. They're, they're very worthy causes. I believe passionately in them. Um, and so my tweeting is like, you know, look at this amazing thing, football inspiring people who have nothing. And it gets like three likes and no one donates. Mm. And then my next tweet is, you know, Oh, look at this manager. He looks a bit like a pie. And then it's like 12,000 likes. And so the resentment comes from the fact that the thing you want the people to engage with is, is, but, but that is the nature of the, that's the nature of Twitter. People don't really want to go on there and be told heart rending facts about, you know, an island suffering from climate change using football to keep its national identity alive. They kind of want to go on there and go, oh, that's funny. And, and, and that's the the problem. with my work is that basically there's a complete parallel between how successful a tweet is and how much I care about it and they're completely inversely <laughs> proportional I feel the same with football because I was I wasn't brought up with football all of my friends were into football but my dad my, 
it wasn't around me. So I grew up with music. And so mm. I always felt, I tried, I, I, I went to see Arsenal a lot of time. All my friends were Arsenal fans when I was a teenager. So we go to high, we go to Highbury all the time. Yeah. That's when you could just turn up on a Wednesday for four quid. Just, <laughs> Those were the days, right? <laughs> Those were the days. Um, you know, and I've been to, you know, my, my son, my mum's side of the family, they're all avid Chelsea fans. My best mate since, since I was a child, he's a Chelsea fan. So I've been to see Chelsea a lot. Chelsea been in my life. Crystal Palace, I suppose, would be my team as I'm from there. Hmm. But I always felt like I just wasn't, because I wasn't into it as much. I just felt I wasn't part of anything. It's a really weird feeling. That's, that's really interesting because I always wonder what my life would have been like if I hadn't been into football. Um, <laughs> and actually, I had a very brief spell where I I did pick myself out of it. Like I mm. went cold turkey for a really short time. And it, I, I still the jury's still really out on whether it was a good or a bad thing. Um, I, I did genuinely open up my life to other things. I was like, suddenly, Saturday at 3pm, my mood wasn't entirely dictated by 22 men I'll never meet you know suddenly I had yeah. this other <laughs> world um but on the whole I guess I guess it's really hard to unpick that isn't it to say you know whether, mm. um but but yeah I probably feel the same about some topics as you feel about football where you're kind of you can get into them a bit but you're never I suppose I'm a bit like that with music I was very passionate about music mm. growing up but now I don't I'm not really I'm just I'm sort of I can hear music and enjoy it but I don't have any any sort of I wouldn't have any knowledge in it and I wouldn't be the person who no. tells you what's good. I just, I just and um, I suppose I'd feel like that if I was surrounded with people talking about it in a really passionate way, uh, in the way that people do about football, I'd kind of think, well, yeah, but why are you so angry about that? Or why are you so happy about that? And... <laughs> but that's it. That's where I'm at with football. When I see I've I, like friends of mine that their team loses and it just ruins their the rest of their day. Mm. Like they're just so crestfallen and, and I'm like, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that. Why are you so, why is it, what is it about football that makes people feel that way? You know, I, I, know, I can't really answer that because if I could, I'd be no. sort of clever or uh, one of those people who picks apart <laughs> subjects successfully. I reckon it is to do with identity. I think it's to do with, th this is a thing that I always found really amusing, especially since I actually got into football and was involved in teams. I always find it really amusing when, now when people congratulate a fan of a football team when their team wins <laughs> as if they've personally done something to do to, to achieve that if you see what it's like it's, yeah, as, if, yeah, it's yeah. as if like you're a massive fan of like i don't know a, a tv show and the main character manages to finally you know achieve happiness and escape prison or something and someone comes up to you pats you on the back and goes great effort mate brilliant that you, you achieve <laughs> that because but but I, I sort of do get it because it it's about a sort of identity it's about a factionalism of like I am, you know, for me, I am Bristol City. So if Bristol City win, I have achieved victory. And therefore, you know, if Bristol mm. Rovers lose, this is a, in some way a, a boost for my self-esteem. And, and, <laughs> and actually, I have sort of managed to step away from that a bit, but, but that was through becoming actually involved with football teams where you actually yeah. are involved. It suddenly seemed a bit ridiculous to me to be, in a way, to be like celebrating my own <laughs> victory in, in a team I wasn't involved in. But... Uh, yeah, it's it, it's quite unique in that way, isn't it? It is, and uh, it's and it's there was there's I mean we've lot we've lots of things, but there's a there seems to be such a large element of the fans that are they whenever like for instance the other day I was coming back from somewhere on a train, 
and it was all it was all complete. It was football fans as far as you could see. I think it was uh, Manchester uh, Liverpool, mm. and uh, yeah, and it was and, and they were they were horrible. It was really <laughs> uncomfortable to be around, and I really that's a, that's what I hate about football is that mm. that element of it, which I know isn't everybody, but it's a large majority. No, and it's a weird sense of shame when you're part of that. So I remember growing up um, and a Bristol City fan, we'd we'd go um, a lot, you know, most weeks really, and became a season ticket holder at certain points. But amongst that Bristol City support, of which you know a lot of them are, are obviously lovely, normal, nice people, mm. like uh, like you'd expect. There were also some some twats, <laughs> you know, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Twats. And and some of the songs you'd hear and what they were directed to. Um, and I remember being relatively young and being in the in the in the wedlock. Uh, what stand was I in? Uh, I can't even remember which stand I was in. But I was at a city game when I was really quite young, and hearing city fans who you're identifying with, you know, they're my group, singing mm. songs directed against uh, Ian Holloway, the Bristol Rovers manager, uh, making fun of his his daughter's disability. And I remember oh, wow. stand, hearing these songs and thinking that I, that that's not something I want to be part of and this this weird you know similarly when you'd hear you'd hear anything sort of racist or it wasn't very i don't think it was very common to hear racial abuse uh but it's a similar thing if you're in a group of people and suddenly uh even if it's not all of them some of those people start to behave in a way that's really abhorrent to you Mm. but you are part of that in group and it's a really awful feeling and i I always remember feeling that i mean i feel it with england fans as well you know this thing of England fans are laying waste to like large cities in Europe and in the name of English football. And so I really struggled to support England at all because for me, it's it's something about being added to this group, you know, this idea that those people are going to win. And you feel so much like you're not part of that. It's being done in, it's it's this thing of it being done in your name in some way, you know, I'm a Bristol City fan. Bristol City fans are chanting this. Therefore the Bristol City fans are chanting it you are one of them it's it's a real difficult thing that um and I, I look at, i look yeah. at football in that way i look at football fans and think i find it a very hard atmosphere to be in a lot of the time these mm. days um this is what that's what and that's what put, has put me off over the years is that like when you saw the videos of people all the england fans breaking into wembley like you know yeah. piling through like they'd been you saw the videos of them before like just like you said just laying waste to leicester square or wherever they were and you're like, why does it have to be that? Because it doesn't happen with rugby no. or, the, or cricket or any other sport. There's just something about football that attracts those kinds of people. And it's a, it's a real shame. It's a real shame because it's not everybody. There are people that, you know, love the game and they love, you know, they love going to see it. And and that that is one of the weird things, isn't it? It's like, I suppose it's the same with all, anytime you try and label any, you know, big group of people that are you know you you take a huge group of people you try and label them in one category i mean that is effectively stereotyping yes um but you know it's always a bit like that isn't it you can't say rugby fans are like this football fans are like this really in a way because you know there are also awful rugby fans i've definitely been on trains of drunk rugby fans and they're awful in a different way (laughs) yeah it's it's a sort of different type of awfulness but it is nonetheless pretty dreadful um and you know that's the same with football fans we get we get a lot of this saying football fans are one way and in my life i've had a lot of people look at me differently for saying football is my is what i'm involved Mm. in still happens people will say well what do you do and i'll say well 
football and they won't listen to the next section you know which is yeah football no. for development football you know helping uh trying to help people through football and um people just think oh he's a hooligan then he's, he's a he's a thug or or mm. more than that they, they they really think you're just not very clever and that that stereotype really is still there that if you're into football you're just not a very clever person yeah. and that's i find that amazing to think that you can just say this sport that billions of people around the world enjoy for liking that you must therefore be of a certain yeah. sort of intelligence or have views <laughs> it's like you wouldn't do that with most things would you like you know it's that's true actually yeah you wouldn't do that with anything else to be honest so yeah i do i do know what you mean and it's funny see when you when you see like what marcus rashford has been doing and the work that you do when that's the thing they don't that sort of stuff kind of gets i don't know if it gets pushed out of the way or well, I, I don't know, you know with marcus, the, not with marcus but with you know with other people they kind of they kind of focus on the on the troubled side of football rather than the beneficial stuff like you like, I, like, you, like you do well, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put me and Marcus Rashford in the same sentence in in our sort of off the field any more than I would for our on the field abilities. But uh, he's he's in a world of his own. But but I do. I think I see what you mean. I think there's always this thing that happens with people like Marcus Rashford where there's this this concentrate on the game thing that gets thrown around. You know, this kind mm. of um, uh, you should be focusing on your football. And what it is, I think, is it is a way of silencing people because. I think there's a fear amongst those in power of the fact that football's such a powerful voice. It's such a powerful, mm. uh, it, you know, footballers have such enormous reach and and they generate such immense respect from people that it's relatively new, in my opinion, in English football for someone like Marcus Rashford to use that for for social good and for challenging the system that's mm. there. I think it's terrifying. It must be terrifying, especially because if you're a politician, um, you're a Tory politician and, you know, you're quite happy with the status quo. You, um, you've suddenly got this guy who is a hero to so many people, but also uh, a demographic that barely vote, really. It's the demographic mm. that, that vote the least, who suddenly is getting involved in political issues in the country um, in a really positive way that is very very easy to understand very easy to get behind it's, it's very hard to not support what marcus rashford stands for so I, it must be terrifying if you're a politician you're thinking this guy's immensely popular and respected he's got yeah. a whole demographic of people who would not bother voting normally and his politics stand against our interests so i think there's this thing of like trying to silence and discredit because it's it must be really Absolutely. scary and i think it's, it's yeah. been brilliant it's been a it's been a real switch from footballers being people that just don't engage in that side of the world so suddenly the England team have become this on the whole this really positive force and like I've never had yeah, England true. team in my lifetime that I've actually really liked as people you know I've yeah. been able to support <laughs> them but it's very it's very you know it's an amazing switch that's happened in a very relatively short period of time and this this idea of sports people becoming activists is uh, I think just a fantastic thing really yeah well this is what this is exactly what needs to happen uh, it, you know the, the, the talk of about you know people taking care of their mental health and the fact that most people at some point will struggle with their mental health and you need people like that so it's good that you know Ricky Hatton's coming out and saying stuff about his depression and uh, Peter Crouch as well and and this is this is such a great thing to see because this is the because those people that go and smash Wembley up are the very people that we want to go and get into and say look 
let's have a chat. Let's sort this. Let's find out what's going on. You know, what, what, why do you want to smash Wembley up? Just let's get it out. Because <laughs> that's not, not, you're not doing that for just, <laughs> it's not just for like, you know, for fun. It's, uh, no, I, I mean, I agree. I think, I think growing up, um, this stuff, it just wasn't talked about. Mental health wasn't talked about. And no. in in sport, um, it really wasn't talked about from my experience in that, you know, I, I've been in dressing rooms, not at a good level, but I've been in dressing rooms, football teams. It's just, you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't talk about that. It just, what no. it was taboo. Uh, and if, and I think the fact it's not, taboo as much as it was and that you know we, we have prominent people talking about it it just can only be a good thing there's, there's no there's no downside yeah. to that um but you know i also think that we do fall into this i certainly fall into this trap of thinking because the people around in your in in the bubbles we create because these voices are so respected and lauded and because things seem so much healthier i have this yeah. inability to realize that the world's a lot bigger and in a lot of the world things haven't changed enormously and it, it, that's always no. a bit of a jolt i always find that around election time that's the biggest example isn't it you know you, <laughs> you're, on, you're online and you think wow massive labor majority on its way and then you switch on the actual news and you think ah right <laughs> you know and i, I see i basically see the uh, same with brexit same with everything where you, you what you see online is a curated version of the world and it's so much often what you'd like to see and then you step yes. into the reality and I, I think it's similar with sport you know things have come a long, long way and they're getting better, but there's still probably a lot of the country where it's a massive stigma to, to mention mental health, mental health issues. And it would, it would sort of not be welcome in the dressing room. I'm, I'm sure that's still true. A lot of places. Yeah. 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 Well, and even the subject of sexuality, you know, there's still, there still remains, I mean, cause statistically there must be some uh, players who are, who are gay. Mm. Yet they don't feel that they can come out and you know announce that and be themselves if they're still a feeling that they have to hide that because it wouldn't be accepted. Yeah, and it's. Which I think I think football is a long way away from being where it needs to be on that front as well. Um, mm. But as I say, you know, it's it's funny because I fluctuate between thinking progress is always is always good and and you know things are very much different from when I was you know. 15 16 and in those environments things have definitely improved um mm. but there's still such a huge way to go and it's it's like you fluctuate between the positive and the, the negative on it you know but <laughs> um but it, i think it's i do think the pace of change is increasing because i think for years nothing seemed particularly to change um yeah true i'd feel over the last two or three years as i say i think probably things like having an england team that are willing to stand up to to, to injustices you know that yeah that is massive that, that you can't really overstate that especially when you've got tabloids that uh are basically hate hate filled tabloids that suddenly realize mm. these people are the heroes we have to publicize their message so you've got you, you are challenging yeah the, the tabloids in a way that politicians can't because politicians yeah. are just politicians whoever you know I, I don't really get massively into party politics but whatever Keir Starmer says he's Keir Starmer, head of Labour, you know, Labour, Labour uh, he's always going to be looked at as a politician. He's trying to get into power and he'll say what he has to say to get in. And he's, mm. you know, whereas a footballer can speak without any of that baggage attached. And I think yeah. they're much more relatable people as a result. Absolutely. I think that whole thing with taking the knee 
you could it really brought out the worst in a lot of people watching watching the game you know like oh you're why are you bringing politics into this why are you doing that but the next minute they're screaming racist abuse at those yeah. players and you're like yeah that's why this is happening i've seen, i've seen a lot a lot of that kind of stuff in my time i remember i lived in um verona for a while and uh verona mm. everyone thinks of verona and you think of the the romeo and juliet and the, the you know the it's a beautiful place and amazing culture but actually, in terms of football, you get to see exactly how right wing and how much racism that you know racism has dictated a lot of what Hellas Verona, the main club, that club really? is just notorious for it. And they had a situation where they the ultras, the you know the main fans, basically said we won't we won't accept black players that we can we can't have. And this wow. was relatively recent, you know, relatively recent. Mm. Um, but sure enough, if a black player would did and eventually black players did play for Hellas and and also. You know, for Italy, Italy've had Mario Balotelli famously. You know, and you'd see the same people that would be throwing racist abuse. Abuse would be the people celebrating when those players scored, and and you see it in the in England too. Um, yeah, and it's it's very hard to understand how that's possible, but yeah, um, but in a way, again, it shows up shows up the extent of the problem, isn't it? Racism is yeah. there's so much of that in the way the government frames its racism, its talk on racism, isn't it? It's, you know, there's there's good immigrants as immigrants that have you know done something great so therefore we've got to treat them like human beings whereas there's also immigrants that are just here to steal our jobs and take our money and all that and they're yeah. you know they're other and it's it's i think it's the same in football really isn't it it's you know people can maintain their racist views because there are helpful black players and then there are the scary black players who we don't want and it's it's mm. it's you know it's all just it's all just a Football's just a microcosm of our society. It just it just shows us what our society is like. Yeah. It holds a mirror up, and racism is a problem in everything, isn't it? Really, it's um... it is, yeah. And it, I stupidly years ago thought, oh, racism seems to have died down a bit. <laughs> but you forget <laughs> that it's it's just everywhere, and I hadn't, yeah, because it doesn't affect me in that respect. So I kind of went, oh no, everything seems to be fine because I wasn't hearing it. Yeah, and then suddenly, suddenly in the last few years, now it's it's again it's everywhere, and I'm here. Maybe I'm just more tuned into it now. But I don't you know. know. Social media is um, is again a massive way that that a white person who is not affected directly. You know, we, we I'm I can't be a victim of, of racial prejudice. I'm I'm white. I'm middle class. I'm, I'm British. Uh, I basically won't experience racism, uh, but social media gives the opportunity to see it physically see it mm. going on um and it really it, i guess in that way at least it's helpful only in so much as it shows the extent of the problem to people like me and probably like you who yeah it doesn't we're very you know we don't have to think about it on a daily basis it's not to say it's not there every single day and in in many many like obviously blatant ways all the way through to very subtle ways in football yeah. for example the lack of black and you know black coaches in the game it's it's almost negligible yeah, right. number of black coaches in football and that's the type of racism that doesn't that doesn't if you're white you don't think about that it doesn't rub your nose no. on that every day it does if you're young and you're black and you look at coaches you think well that's that's not something that black people do then is it you know you, you don't have examples to say that's a normal path so so obviously for for black people it's 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 there every day yeah, but um, these these like systemic elements of systemic racism, um, you don't think about if you're white until someone alerts you to them. I think. Yeah, 
That was certainly my case, anyway. Same. And it was always, if you heard, you know, somebody, it would have to take someone to be like verbally racist in front of you and you go, oh, hey, hey pack that in, mate. Yeah, you see, but, that, that's it. That's racism. You, know, I mean, you, you don't necessarily yeah. think I've watched 35 manager press conferences. Every one of those managers is white. You don't necessarily think yeah. there's an alarm going off there. But, you know, being involved in football and seeing how impossible it is for for, for black coaches to get a break. Um, mm. and, and, you know, and similarly Asian coaches. And, you know, I know, I know a brilliant um, British Asian coach who in, if his name was John Smith, he would, he'd be working in uh, a, a league club, at least, you know, maybe league one, league two. Wow. And he can't get, can't get near a job. Um, and it, I have no doubt at all. It's because of his name. And um, really? people yeah. look at his name and they think, I don't know if they even think it, consciously or if it's a subconscious bias you, you can't even know but he you know it's it's everywhere you look in that way and um all you really get is lip service from the fa and from the powers that be you don't mm. really get anyone burrowing into what the root of this is yeah but you just but when you went because like you said so you were else like you in verona mm. and you also went to you were, uh, where else did you go because you went to started off in micronesia uh, that's it yes tiny tiny islands in the pacific that, that i mean that was just like um <laughs> uh it's sort of an idiotic quest with me and my mate to still play international football despite the fact we were 25 and we were you know, <laughs> very average would be being polite um so that's that's sort of the first job i did in my proper career um and went to this well basically decided we'd find the world's weakest international football team and we'd play for them and so found <laughs> this island, tiny little island called Pompeii in the middle of the Pacific that um, on its Wikipedia page said they're the only, the, uh, the Wikipedia page said they were the only team never to have won a game in any kind. Uh, and they'd just lost 16-1 to Guam. Wow. Um, and we, th- we sort of jokingly at the start thought, what if we message them and see if we can qualify to play with play for them? And then gradually it became more and more real because the head of their FA had just moved to London by complete fluke um, and said, look, there's no team, you know, they gave up, but if you want to go out and coach, you know, that would be great. They'd love you. And sort of it changed from being international uh, manager to international coach, um, <laughs> which was more, more logical because to get citizenship, we actually, it turns out it's one of the hardest places in the world to get to. We'd had to renounce British citizenship, learn the language and marry a local woman. And I negotiated wow. two of those with my wife, but the third one was uh, <laughs> at the time. The no, no go. There, was, there was not a lot. Of, there was not a lot of movement on the third one. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was it, it was sort of a stupid idea, and then getting there and um, sort of experiencing actually that you know football had just not been an option for these kids, and you know that it was a really neglected place in terms of sports funding, and actually became a really a proper project you know spent almost two years out there building football program from scratch more or less you know with all the way from schools programs through to a, a sort of de facto national team to try and win their first game and that that was sort of the idiotic thing that led to a an actual proper introduction into sort of the way football can affect people and and be a be a thing for sort of um national identity and pride and you know we were in this island where people just thought football wise sports wise people just had given up on the idea of success they just thought we 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 don't win um and it was a whole process of trying to convince them they could win 
and then yeah. trying to make them win because <laughs> otherwise <laughs> all you've done is just save them it's like building them up for this horrible defeat so yeah no we we it was sort of a long long process but um yeah that was how it started really yeah and were you, were you successful did you get them did they win uh yeah we did we did win a game actually and um the, the funniest thing about that is we it was only against a sort of second division team from guam but it it meant everything to us um mm. and the funniest thing is we were six one up so obviously for our players it was like the biggest game of their wow. lives the other team it was a pre-season friendly for this slightly overweight <laughs> i mean they looked a bit like a pub team in this country and they had no idea what they're coming out to you know this this team bellowing our national anthem like bashing on the dressing room doors <laughs> like coming out as if it was a war and uh, we went 6-1 up with uh, about seven minutes left um, and I'm there posting the touch lines wow. absolute nervous wreck just yelling <laughs> screaming because I think my brain was saying if we lose now that's it might as well just end football for <laughs> imagine that we were, never won a game we were 6-1 up with like minutes left and we drew 6 all that would just be it We'd, yeah. <laughs> but no we didn't we, we, we won 7-1 luckily but, um, excellent I, there was a moment where they scored and because we were 6-0 up they scored 6-1 and our goalkeeper who was just this real chilled out guy just uh, put his thumbs up and went good shot man and the rest of his teammates <laughs> just turned on him and were like what <laughs> shut up <laughs> <laughs> so encouraging that's what you need I know, that's right? what you need but that's just what I was but I on the side I was thinking exactly the same I was like dude you've not grown up as a Bristol City fan have you <laughs> you do not ever <laughs> expect your team not to screw up <laughs> <laughs> what was it about Bristol City because what's because the, there's Bristol City and Bristol Rovers yeah yeah what 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 makes someone choose their team I mean because if I if if I was if I was into football I, I'm assuming my my team would be Palace because that's where I was born. I grew up yeah. around there, so that's what I'm thinking. But you've got two teams in the same city, so yeah, it, it's you. You don't choose is the is the simple answer, really. In that um, you're told by your older sibling or right. your dad. My dad's actually a Bournemouth fan. He's from Bournemouth, so we actually <laughs> spent a lot of our childhood laughing at how bad Bournemouth were, and then suddenly they <laughs> completely surpassed us and became Premier League team. So I guess that was karma. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I was told basically by my brother, although when we were both very young, actually, and this is something I won't admit to many people, we um we sort of supported Rovers too. Not, not actively, but we wanted them yeah. to do well. And it was only as you get a bit older and you you go to games as a bit of an older, you know, as a, as a teenager or whatever, you start to develop the the dislike. Although the dislike for Rovers isn't very strong in me, uh, and I, I'll probably be hated even more by Rovers fans, but it's, it's actually just because it's not very interesting. They're so much below us. You kind of... <laughs> I, I, I grew up seeing those derby days, and they'd be huge days, you know. You'd have the, yeah. the nerves building up to it, the, you know, the hatred, the nerves. The, and all that's really been gone because we haven't been in the same division as them for so long. Um and I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm anti them at the moment because they got Joey Barton as their manager, and I'm, I'm sort of anti everything right. Joey Barton does. But, um, but actually, I don't have any dislike for them. I'd, I'd love them to be back in our division. I think it'd just be fun, <laughs> you know. It's like, um. Yeah, it's uh, but it's funny that even like I say, growing up, not really being into football, I was always more into music, going to see bands. Football is still always there. It's always on in the background, even if you're not into it. It's such a, it's so ingrained in everything we do that it's absolutely brilliant that now you know footballers are being seen as you know uh, people to aspire to be. 
you know, because they're doing good things on and off the pitch, you know? Yeah, and uh, I think we had a relationship where, and, I, and I, this is where you can get quite conspiracy theory-ish, but I think we had a relationship with our footballers where the, the media made them into absolute villains a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time they were just normal young men who have become very wealthy suddenly and very, you know, loved by everyone. So that's going to mess you up. If you're a 17, mm. 18 year old kid who often hasn't come from a particularly wealthy background, usually, you know, quite a lot of the time by, you know, most footballers don't come from wealthy backgrounds. That's just, that's just the demographic. It's the way it is. Yeah. And suddenly you're a multimillionaire. Everyone loves you. Everyone wants a piece of you. That's going to mess up most people. But I do think the media played a huge role in vilifying these, these players. And Absolutely, I yeah. don't know if that's just because dumping on people's cells, which it undoubtedly does, but looking at it, I'm almost getting into conspiracy theory of, you know, is the media is affected by the, the elites, by the wealth, you know, the media is dictated by the, the parties in power. Maybe it was a intentional thing to keep these people down because they are potentially mm. powerful voices. But if you're yeah, reading true. about, you know, we, we just grew up reading about Wayne Rooney's sex scandals, but, um, but now suddenly we've got a group of players who, who have this power and are using it positively. Yeah. It can't be a very comfortable place for the, for the people who are supposed to be running the country properly, you know, to suddenly have yeah. like Marcus Rashford tie them in knots like that, <laughs> and very and have a bigger platform to tell to tell his story how he wants to do it. You know, that's the other yeah. thing. When we when we were, you know, ten years ago, there wasn't a way for footballers to engage with the public except through the press, and so your messaging would be dictated by the press. They they could destroy you. They could choose your quotes as they wanted to choose them. You, you didn't have your own relationship with fans and. It's so different now that through social media, a footballer can go on there and put out exactly, you know, I'm sure it comes through their people. I'm sure there are there are checks and measures on it. I'm sure there are sponsors who di- who have an impact on what they're allowed to say. But but footballers can essentially tell us their stories and the mm. press can't control them. And that definitely is a shift in dynamic. Because if you've got to oh, give an interview God, yeah. to the sun, you know, if, the, if you're telling the sun something, not that, in my opinion, anyone should toss on anything. But if you're giving an interview <laughs> to the Sun, the Sun is going to pick out the quotes they want. They're going to make the headline. You don't have any way of really saying what you want. But now no. you can just put it on your social media. It'll get more views than, than than anything. And no one can really tell you what to do. It's true. It's very true. And that, it, it was so, it was shown as well when, you know, Marcus was rational, just trying to, you know, sort out the uh, the, the the meals for deprived uh, children, and then he showed the MPs voting against it. And you're going, you're what are you doing? Just yeah. it doesn't affect you anyway to feed the children. Yet there you are, there you are voting against it. You, it's, it's insane. It's insane that this government have they are less popular than the footballers now. They just are. I mean, it, they, yeah. It's, it, I mean, this government personally is pantomime villain yeah. levels. You know, it's, it's genuinely. <laughs> like, so it's the, the policy is basically like, do you think we can boot some cats into the Thames? Do you think we'll get away with it? Yeah, let's do it. We'll shut everyone up if they come. Like, you know, they are at that level of villainy where you're like, how does yeah. anyone think that's... But, but you know, it, it's... what's What remains to be seen is whether this kind of power that someone like Marcus Rushford has, whether it can be utilized because because the problem we have i guess as ever is the only power we have over politicians is voting them out and mm. the problem slightly is if you're someone like marcus rashford you're not you're not going to stand as a politician you're, you're not voting for marcus rashford so he has to tie himself to 
when the time comes, if he wants to do this, he has to tie himself to a political party. And I just mm. don't know that that's something he would want to do because that always no. comes with difficulties. Um, you know, he, he for the same reason some of us might not particularly like Labour, but yeah, we'll vote for them over the Tories. That might be how he feels, but that doesn't mean he's going to put his name to Labour. That's a very different no. process. And um, And if he doesn't do that, how is he then going to influence the the power that he has get people to basically getting people to vote and that's the thing i, I don't see him going out there and going vote labor because that that isn't really fair of a th- it may not be what he feels and it's also just not no. a fair thing to expect of him but on the other hand if, if if you're a disaffected young person you would vote for marcus rashford but you wouldn't vote for labor necessarily true you? so yeah, that's true. the difficult it's that that disconnect the tories are fine being unpopular as long as they're popular with enough people to get voted enough. back in yeah, you're right. You're right. How do you change the subject a little bit? Going back to, but back to you. What? How do you feel now? Did you know you're you know you because you don't play football anymore? And it, you know you didn't. How did it feel when you got to that point that you're like, oh, this is this is it now. It's not going to go any further. That, that must have been. That must have been. You know, something you really wanted to do. It was your dream, and then you just you get to a point. You go, that's not going to happen. This must be quite hard uh, to it's, take. It's weird. It's weird. I mean, I wasn't close enough for it to be heartbreaking. Like, I really, right. <laughs> I, I also, I was never good enough, which I think made it a lot easier. The, the kids I really sympathise with, and I see a lot of a lot of this, um, are the kids who give their whole life to this sport. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I saw a a story that was being touted as a real positive thing. You might have seen it, where it was um, Arsenal have just signed the new Messi. You know, he's four years old, and this genuinely happened. Yes, they didn't genuinely sign him because that's nonsense you, you actually can't sign him he's just playing for a arsenal academy sort of unaffiliated um but i remember thinking just how sad it is because i see i've come across a lot of this in the game and it's kids who at a very young age are are you know they love football i'm sure but their parents are pushing and pushing and pushing and football is everything and they they have no doubt in their mind that they're going to be professional footballers yeah. and partly our culture taps into this it says believe in yourself and you'll succeed which sounds like a very positive message but you see so much of this you know no one believed but this guy stuck to it and overcame and all yeah. this is and they, these messages are reinforced again and again and again and then sure enough they get to to sort of whatever it is whether it's 16 whether it's 21 uh and they're not up to it or they get injured you know one or mm. the other and clubs just cut them loose they're just they're just dumped yeah. by the side of the road and what have they actually you know, they've spent all their lives pushing this pathway and it's gone. It's just snatched away. Sometimes it's snatched away in an instant, like with a foul guy goes in the back of you and that that's it. That's your entire dream, mm. your entire life. And there's nothing much to back you up because no. to, be, to, to succeed at that level of football, you almost have to be single-minded. You, It's very hard to also pursue. You, you can pursue an education, but a lot of the time it's a secondary, you know, it's obviously secondary because the dream is to be a footballer. And if you spend yeah. too long studying, you probably wouldn't be playing football. Like that's, that's how it's seen. It's not necessarily true, but that's the perception, isn't it? It's, and so, yeah, those kids, they're the ones I feel heartbroken for because their identity is I'm a footballer. And so yeah. you're not, you're not a footballer and you're at a, such a young age, but you're having to reevaluate your entire relationship with the world. And, there are millions of them because the percentage of success is so tiny. And at mm. least for me, I was never even close. So even though I managed to be <laughs> immature enough to convince myself <laughs> I might manage to make it, um, I had a backup, I had education, I had, you know, 
it wasn't the same I, I I was very lucky I had a good education I I had other plans and other things I loved and other things I, I could do even just that I could be a football journalist you know I, I was able to write um, well enough that I could make a career out of that that's just yeah. not an option to to most kids in that situation so yeah um, it's a really brutal thing that to say to someone this your identity is no longer yours you know go find another one and, um, yeah, and it, and like you say, they've given their entire life to that that dream, and then and and especially in those formative years as well. So <clears throat> when they're teenagers and puberty's hitting, and you know they're they're having to deal with that, and at the same time, someone says, "Yeah, you're this is as far as you go yeah. with this." And at that age, yeah, how do you, you say, recover? Yeah, how do you I recover? Mean, to, to be honest, it's hard enough for the people who do make it in some regards. I mean, maybe if you make it and you're a Premier League player and you you rack up a good amount of money and you look after it and and then you go into like fast track into coaching or whatever punditry for them it's 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 not a bad situation but for a lot of players it's um it's you don't earn infinite money you know you earn a decent wage by most people's standards but then at 35 you're finished that's the end of you so and, and there just aren't infinite coaching jobs you know the maths bears that out if you want to coach at a level uh, a, a professional level there are only so many jobs to go around and you think about the fact there are you know 30 players including the bench at every game you go to they're yeah. not going to find employment within the sport so you it, it's yeah it's a brutal thing i think it's really tough um, yeah. yeah i know there's people that, there's people with comedy that you know they've they've I, I've, I've gigged with these people so many times and they they've been going for years same time as i've been going and yet they're still doing the, the the open mic nights and the and the smaller gigs and and I'm like I I admire your determination but I don't I don't know this this just isn't going to happen. But do you think they want it to happen? You know? That's the interesting thing for it with comedy. Oh, maybe yeah. I mean, is it because there's such a fine line, isn't there, between the like it's just really great that they get the entertainment they want to go out and do it for themselves and but there's something really tragic about the thought of every night thinking is this the night the commissioner from channel four's in and loves me and then my career <laughs> launches you know and i think i was a bit like that with football for a while it, like you know despite myself thinking oh maybe you know just maybe this will be the day i i suddenly you know score three brilliant goals and but i, I also kind of just never knew even if i knew that wasn't possible i would have just enjoyed playing football anyway so it wasn't quite so tragic right. as that if you see what i mean yeah 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 <laughs> but what you've done since the work you've done since has been incredible like kitmus is a fantastic thing that you did again you don't realize that there are there are kids out there that they don't even get to play football like they don't even they can't afford it they don't even get to get a kit i remember as a child wanting a chelsea bag because everyone else had chelsea bags i wanted this for school and we just couldn't afford it you know it's and it was heartbreaking right it's got much it's got much much worse as well the prices of football shirts are just outrageous yes it's, it's a disgrace it's an absolute disgrace and so yeah i mean kitmus was born of um for, for quite a long time i guess about 10 years i i generally collect a lot of kit up and send it abroad to places where kids don't have stuff you know it's it's, it's been something i've done for years usually football boots mostly but also some football shirts and send them off to projects that are doing good work with kids in different countries and um yeah and it was only relatively recently like last year that this idea of kitmus came came about because i had uh i got given some kits it was really nice brand new shirts um and 
they'd initially said, can you give them to refugee camps, to kids in refugee camps? And I had to point out very gently that that's not, it's not really possible. It's not really appropriate because you can't really give just 10 kids in a refugee camp a lovely brand new Man United shirt. It's just not, that's not really how it works. And they were very understanding and said, well, look, we trust you do what you do what you want with them. Um, And it, it occurred to me that, you know, in this country, you know, it was everywhere, you know, reading everywhere. And it's always been the case, but poverty was very much front and center. And the fact COVID had plunged so many families into this desperate position and around mm. Christmas as well, you know, it was, it was really hitting hard and just thought, you know, the best thing we could do with these shirts probably is to, to find a way to get them to some parents to give to kids or, or, you know, to yeah. community centers to give to kids who, who aren't going to get Christmas presents this year. And from that idea, and you know, tweeting that out and seeing if anyone else wanted to join in, it just it just snowballed into this huge thing. We ended up giving away thousand football shirts to community centres, sixteen community centres around Britain, um, who obviously work with families year round and, and could could distribute them into the communities. And it was quite, it was quite a, you know, it, in a way, it was a really lovely, heartwarming thing, and I, I, I love doing it, and I'm really excited we're doing it again this year. But yeah. um, as you say, it's a kind of sad eye-opener into just how divided wealth-wise this country is, or how much, oh, God, yeah. how many families are struggling and how many have just stupidly large amounts of wealth uh, and yeah. disparity. Um, and, and I think the football shirt market has, has made me so angry because you see these football shirts and they're, 60 70 80 100 pounds for, yeah. for kids and you're thinking children have a pressure put on them you know everyone knows this peer pressure is there children will be going out with their friends and they'll be like well they want to have the new liverpool kit and they're going back to their families and that that kind of cost you feed a family on yeah. the amount of money that this football shirt is costing it's just it's unreasonable and i, I get the understand i understand economics you know i understand people are trying to make money and that the economy works that way but it feels to me like it's it's a mark of how football has extracted it's it's kind of it's lost track of where the fans are it's lost track of where it was supposed to represent communities and make them feel empowered make people feel like their identity meant something make them feel a part of something and what you're actually saying when you market a child's liverpool shirt at 90 pounds is it's not for you that's what you're saying to them yeah saying you can't afford this. This isn't for you. And yeah. if football clubs are happy with that, then so be it. But I just think that's a really depressing sentiment. I think absolutely. Um, whereas what we saw was that normal people rallied around, and you know it was amazing. People clearing out their old football shirts, and you know lovely, good new condition shirts, giving us those. But some people just donating so we could buy new shirts, and we didn't buy any of the fifty quid shirts. Obviously, we we shopped around and we got shirts that were affordable so that we could give you know give a good number of shirts away but um the clubs didn't really want to support us the big clubs um as you'd expect but it, it's just as i say wow. it shows it shows the two worlds you know you have this amazing sense of unity and this this lovely thing that comes through football where people really do rally around and they look after people um and then you have the the big elites and these superpowers and these big businesses that are just sucking sucking people dry basically yeah and they are yeah. they are yeah, they're just big business, um, and it shows it's so short-sighted to to do that because you think if you were to make the shirts affordable, more people would buy them, so you'd make money anyway. You'd make the money, and you'd, and it 
and more people will be into football. You'd have there'd be more of a sense of again, like you say, community. I don't know. I think it would just bring people more together, like you said, and like because that's what football used to be. It used to be families t- taking their kids to the football, yeah. you know, and sat around and and you know the, the amount of stories I'd heard of dads uh, that that was how they kept the connect their connection. Yeah, between because men the, often you know, yeah. men can't talk about famously a lot of men can't talk about yeah. emotions and feeling. And football is a great way of transplanting that you you go watch the football together and you're able to you know I could have cried in front of my dad watching football I couldn't cry in front of my dad you know in any other scenario (laughs) it's men are able to to, you know and it's not just men but you know it's it's definitely a really important avenue for that and you know growing up um, we couldn't always afford a new kit every year you know most people couldn't they've always been expensive football shirts but Mm. the the level of difference and for going to football too as a family we we could go to football um and okay it was bristol city and we were at a bit of a low point in our in our career in our <laughs> uh, our football journey at that point i think we were sort of in the bottom two divisions in and then out but i remember going and the first game i went to was anglo-italian cup game against oxford <laughs> and it was because <laughs> uh, you had to play english teams to qualify to play the italian teams and we, we never did uh, so you just end up watching us play oxford or portsmouth uh, and it was a quid you know it was a quid to get in um for kids and yeah. it was something like three or four kids quid for adults and okay obviously currency's changed like this is 20 years ago but not that much it was it was a cheap afternoon out whereas now you look at it and you're like you could probably go away somewhere like Spain on a holiday cheaper than you could yeah. take family to, to Arsenal for for a game. It's it's yeah. It is it's it's not sustainable in my opinion. And I think I think the the business model's just gone. When you've got foreign powers, basically foreign nations owning football clubs, running them as yacht as if they were yachts, just to have yeah. the status symbol of them, to, to to make them look better so that people will cheer the cheer the name of Saudi Arabia rather than thinking about what they're doing uh in Saudi Arabia how can that game be compatible with this game that we we grew up with where it's yeah yeah you know families going out and having a good day out and the, the you know identifying with the players they weren't that different to us but they were they were much better at football but they were human beings <laughs> um you know and that's the thing the super athletes that we've got now you know it's just all gone it's all gone extreme and it will only go more extreme i think it will um, yeah. but they are that's it they are just you know they can't. They're not. You know the stories that you'd you'd hear of, you know footballers falling out of nightclubs and doing yeah. this that, and the other. You know, like, you know the George Bests and whoever. Oh, no, only the you number know. of the number of players I saw growing up who were definitely hungover. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there were a lot of players that just looked either. But you know they and some of them. You know their guts. They look. They just look like normal human beings. A lot of these 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 players. And yeah, I mean it's all just become same with everything. It goes to its extreme, doesn't it? it yeah. Players are suddenly worth millions. They're assets. They can't be treated like normal people because they're worth millions and hundreds of millions. And it just yeah. feels a very detached game. From, um, I mean, you still get non-league football, which is much more like what I associate with football. You know, the non-league mm. game is still much more similar. But at the top of the game, I, I just these days I cannot imagine really caring who's Man United and who's Man City and who's Chelsea no. and who's Newcastle because it's just. It, for me, it's just one whole. It's, it's you know superpower A versus superpower B, and I just yeah I feel very sorry for the fans of those clubs because obviously it isn't the same for them. Uh, but you must feel strange if you're a if you're a 
I mean, Newcastle would be the ultimate example. If you're a Newcastle fan who's been through what, you know, years of underachievement, but, you know, suddenly they're brought out of Saudi Arabia and maybe they'll end up winning things. But won't you always feel a bit weird about that? That it's, it's, yeah. You know, this whole thing of we got our club back, but I mean, isn't it? It's Saudi Arabia's club now. And I, I just can't think, I would just feel weird about that, I think. I'd rather yeah. Bristol City were, uh, I'd rather Bristol City were average and, you know, kind of like we are now than that we were bought out by someone and we suddenly were champions, but it came with this yeah. weird sense of, but are there people suffering halfway across the world because of the people who are in our club? It's just, that's not right. Yeah, that's true, actually. So that's the thing. It's all, oh, I don't know. It's all so fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucked. <laughs> and if you start to, this is, <laughs> when I have these conversations, I go, ah, yeah, there's not really much I can do about that. <laughs> no, I don't think you I and me know. are going to solve it. No, <laughs> no. It just got worse and worse. It's the same as any problem, right? It, it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And like, there are these little moments where you think, this doesn't feel right. But there's nothing mm. anyone can do. It's like an inevitability of, it's almost like an inevitability of capitalism. It's like, to, 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 I mean, this is the thing with the, the moralising of it. It, it. Fans want their teams to succeed. To succeed now in football, you need not just millions, but you need billions. To, to Who has billions? Who's ethical? Mm. Uh, you struggle to yeah. name anyone, don't you? So you're immediately <laughs> in a situation where it's like, therefore you have to put that to the back of your mind and just accept it or stop supporting your team. And that feels like a really unfair... That's why yes. I really sympathise with you. I'm not saying Newcastle fans should stop supporting you. I'm, I'm okay to moralise about it because I'm I'm not a Newcastle fan. But it's a completely unfair thing to expect as fans to suddenly say, "Well, because of my moral compass, this thing that I've loved for my entire life is is going to be dead to me." It doesn't. That doesn't feel right. But no, I know what you mean. And it, but it, but like you said, people are going a lot of proper like the fans of of the game are going lower league. Yeah, they definitely. They're, there's a lot of support for like I see Charlie Baker talking about um, whoever he's supporting now, and you know people are. Uh, uh, Math Brown will go on about Brentwood, and you yeah. know, so it's so it's happening. You know, it's uh, it's still it's still there. It, I think what's really hard is just like like I say, like it's it's the identity thing. Football is identity, and you grow up, and at the age of two, three, four, you're told you're a Newcastle fan, and then that builds into your identity and that's almost one of the first ways you introduce yourself not that you necessarily go up to people shake hands and go I'm a Newcastle <laughs> fan but you know it's a big part of what you are as a person is I am this is this is part of my identity and there's nothing right it's, it's, it's a in a way it's a really lovely thing um and that's where the problem comes how can you suddenly perform this about turn 20 years down the line maybe your kids have now grown up as Newcastle and you're just overnight you're you're not going to just say okay I've changed now that's just no I think I do, yeah. I just don't know where you go with it, and I think, I think it's just, it's really sad. And I think, obviously, I love, I love this idea that you know people are going to support non-league teams more, and I, I think it, it, it's great, and I, I love non-league football. Uh, it's much closer to the game that I, that I loved. Um, but I just think it's an unreasonable expectation to put on fans, and it's also unreasonable to tar them with the association with, you know. Saudi Arabia the only thing I don't like is when people revel in it you know this wearing a Saudi Arabian mm. costume and aside from the just racist elements of that it, it's not <laughs> if you, you should, people actively lauding the Saudi Arabia regime is is pretty atrocious but for the vast majority of Newcastle fans they're just sitting there thinking well maybe we'll finally win the league and 
it's a bit unfair to suddenly say to you, well, you're not going to be able to enjoy that success because of a decision you had nothing to do with. True. That you, you don't have yeah. a, an option and you didn't even get a vote in it. So, yeah, feels a yeah. bit harsh, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> like it's, but it's even more it's like saying well you can enjoy that if you like but think about the the people being publicly executed for being gay in Riyadh yeah. it's like well that's not really on the Newcastle fans is it it's not that wasn't their decision uh, no. so I really feel for everyone it's a it's an absolute no win situation for everyone yeah 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 it's like everything isn't it everything just everything just goes back to money now it's just every single thing like we've got now uh, around London, they've got the uh, the new sort of low emission zone that's been extended out, and they go, oh yeah, we want to lower the the you know the, the emissions and in, in the pollution in in London. They go, no, it's not. You just want to make money. It's all about money. You don't give a shit. You don't care. They're still turtles with straws up their noses. You don't oh give yeah. A shit. Oh, the hypocrisy, <laughs> the climate, the climate hypocrisy is some of the best there is, isn't it? I mean, the, the, I think in a way, the greatest trick that's ever been pulled is convincing. The likes of you and me to feel like we've destroyed the planet because yeah i, mean, I feel like oh, I, d I put my baked bean can in with the cardboard last night i fucked the planet you know no, what <laughs> fuck the planet is like these you know shell they fuck the planet no, it, it's amazing that yeah. these are the people who shell doing adverts about how we should be greener and it's like the level of hypocrisy <laughs> is just off the charts so, yeah you're 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 digging holes into the into the earth that we live on it's yeah. creating a huge problem yet i'm i haven't washed out my peanut butter jar so <laughs> i I'm you're a monster yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that is it ah. that really does feel i mean the same with everything isn't it you know we're, we're the problem the benefit scrunches are the problem the the mm. self-employed trying to scab 200 quid back here and there we're the problem it's not for instance the you know the offshores with billions who don't pay a single yeah. bit of tax the the amazons the, <laughs> and it's all just a feat of misdirection to make us feel shit about ourselves and think well yeah. we did this when actually yeah it's, it's got nothing to do with us at all that's not to say we can't try and do our best but it's just no i'm not going to save the planet um, sadly <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> I don't, exactly I don't know if that's within the remit of this podcast but i, I don't think i can do it <laughs> but like you said we will do our best yeah uh paul this has been fantastic thank you for joining me today oh, really enjoyed talking to you it's been great man i can't believe how much yeah. like mark you sound <laughs> <laughs> everyone says that <laughs> i didn't want to say anything i wasn't going to say anything i'm like i'm gonna i might say that <laughs> no 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 i get a lot of it i get i get so much of that and I, I even get people i've had people i've known for years occasionally message me and say hi mark and they go oh shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh mate uh, where can we find you where can we find you online uh, if yeah, you need so to be found well, Twitter is uh, at Paul underscore C underscore Watson, uh, and you can help me on my quest to get this this number. But I I don't have any idea which will make me happy. To <laughs> um, get yeah. that happy number, exactly. So yeah, mostly just that one, and I'll I'll generally whine on about what I'm doing until sort of those thirty likes come in, and I can sit back and <laughs> <laughs> bask in the warm bit. glow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Paul. It's been a pleasure. No, real pleasure. Thank you. Insane in the membrane. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk Shooting, live streaming and podcast production.